Let's go ahead and pray as we open the word of God. Father, just cannot believe that you would uh, shine your grace upon us in such a way that we could gather publicly, Lord, that we could be here uh, in the middle of chaos, Lord, in the middle of craziness all around us, Lord, and yet we can come, we can read your word, we can focus, we can be led by your spirit, and you could prove this time valuable in our lives, Lord, for your purposes and your glory. And so we pray that that would happen, Lord. Uh, that you would speak to your children through your word for your ends. And we ask your mighty and precious name. Amen. All right, you could be seated. If you need a Bible, we have some for you. You do need a Bible, so I should rephrase that. If you don't have a Bible, we got one for you. And when you get it, you can find Acts chapter 12. Looks like Christa's wandering down one side, Ben's on the other side. Krista, Ben, if you see someone without a Bible on their lap, just pike place fish throwing style, just hit them with it. I got to be careful what I say. When I was a youth pastor, I could just say stuff and nobody cared. And uh, when you're in charge, they, it's, it's different. I told them. A couple years ago, I told somebody a thing I used to say in youth group. I'd be like, if you came with a guy who doesn't have a Bible, just dump him. And I got a text message later, like, my wife left me. And I was like, bring your Bible. No, I didn't say that. So I was like, yeah. So. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 12. Um, we got a paddle board last summer. We got a couple of them. Not usually where I start, but just going to be this week. Start with the story. And so we ended up spending a lot of time out on the water doing different things. And so we had, you know, checked out all the lakes and stuff around. And we heard of this one river that you could go down, which is pretty exciting. So we took Toby and Jordan, which are our two oldest. Uh, Toby's at the time was like 11. Jordan's like three, I think. I don't know. Don't ask my wife. She knows numbers. And so anyway, we're on this river. And we're just having a great time. And we're going down. We brought a picnic lunch. So like... The river comes to this sandbar that's kind of like right down the middle of the river. And uh, so we pull up on the sandbar. We're eating lunch. And as we're sitting there, I'm looking, and it's like the main river goes to the right. It's this big, wide river, you know, as wide as this room. And, like, it goes to the right. And then there's a smaller kind of channel that goes off to the other side of the sandbar. Um, and it's narrower. It's deeper. It looks like it's moving faster. And it kind of goes off into these <coughs> thicker bushes around the corner. I was like, I wonder where that goes. And Jordan and Megan were eating their sandwiches. So... I was like, Toby, you want to go see where that goes with me? And he's like, yeah. So we get on our paddleboard, and we go down this little river and go around the corner. And immediately, the brush and the trees just start to shrink in. And this channel gets narrower and narrower. And then it goes around another corner. I was like, maybe we can make it around. And we get around the corner, and the brush is like literally like all over the river. And it's still flowing through, but there's only like 18 inches to like get underneath it. You'd have to like lay flat on your belly and still you'd get scraped on the back with stuff. And I'm on a paddleboard, so I'm standing up. Toby's sitting up on the paddle. I was like, no way, we're not going to do that. So we turn around and that really hurts my heart because I'm like the guy that's like, we got to keep going, never turn around. Like never say, even on stupid stuff that doesn't matter, like paddleboarding. But anyway, so I turn around and um, and I'm going, and I'm, it's kind of bumming me out. I'm looking back, and I was like, do you think we could make it, Toby? And because I'm looking back, I don't realize we're paddling into a tree. And so Toby's like, 
down. And I'm like, uh-oh. And the tree like knocks Toby off the board. And I was like, Toby. And then I go, Whoa, and like, right, huge splash. Because when you're on a paddle board and it goes out from underneath, somehow you like elevate. And it was just a massive splash, body flop, belly flop thing. And so Megan can't see any of this because we're just around the corner, but we're close enough where she can hear all of it, right? So her and Jordan are sitting there, like, eating their sandwiches, and they just hear, Toby, Dad, and, like, she thinks she's a widow, and uh, she's not, and so I, we get back on the paddleboard, and we're laughing, but it's really cold, so we're, we're making our way out of, like, coming up this river, and just as we get back to the sandbar where they're eating lunch, these two kayakers are coming down, and not to be judgy, like, because I could be judgy sometimes, welcome to church, but um, these people clearly did not spend a lot of time kayaking, right? You can tell by, like, the type of life vest someone's wearing, like, if they're out there a lot, or if that's orange, and you know what I mean? So they clearly, and so I'm looking at them, not trying to be judgy, but, like, I'm trying to help them. I'm like, they start coming down the thing that me and Toby are coming out of, and I'm like, I was like, hey, guys, uh, you probably don't want to go that way. I mean, it's like, it gets thick, and, like, there's, like, all this stuff, and it's a guy and a girl, older, like, 40s or 50s. And um, sorry, I know that was offensive to some of you. I heard the groans. My bad. And so, again, see, youth pastor stuff. And so I'm coming out of there, and I was like, you don't want to go that way. And they go, we've been this way before. We know. And I was like, oh, all right. So... We come out, and we eat our lunch, and we get the girls, and we go down the river, and we're coming out. And about a half hour later, we come up behind these two kayakers, right? So now I'm intrigued. I'm like, how do they make it through? Like, is there a way I didn't see? Like, maybe this is interesting. So I asked the guy. I was like, hey, how was it in there? And he's like, oh, it's great. And I was like, did you, like, how do you get through there? Did you, like, lay down or what? And he's like, yeah, you kind of hunker down. He's like, but the brunch is scratch your whole face. And he's like, actually, I lost my sunglasses. They got ripped off my head. And I was like, oh, bummer. And he's like, where did you guys go? And I was like, we went the other way. And he goes, there's another way? And I was like, I was like, yeah, the giant river that went to the left that you've been going on for probably an hour now. Like, that wide open path was like clear, like, and you guys turned off of to go on that little narrow, like I didn't say all this to him, but I'm thinking in my head, like, yeah, there's another way, man. Like, and we started talking last week in Acts chapter 12 about two different paths. And, and one of the paths people are on is the same path that Herod is on. And I feel like this sometimes when I talk to them, like I go, I go, you know, you're on a, a really bad path. And they're like, there's another path. Like there's another way to live this life. The Bible uses lots of times, it uses paths as an analogy for how you are living your life, the choices you are making, the decisions you're making, the way you're spending your time. And we're, we started taking a look at these two different paths a couple weeks ago when we started Acts chapter 12. We looked at Peter's path pretty thoroughly. Then last week we started looking at Herod's path pretty thoroughly. And I didn't get to finish Herod's path which is a bummer for me, but here's what I know about the way God works. It wasn't my plan to teach this this morning. Okay? So what that means is God was looking down from heaven, and he's like, Jared, wait. There's somebody at church that's not going to be, they're not here right now. They're going to be here next week, and they got to hear this. Right? When, you, when things like this happen that are beyond the planning of men and, and circumstances fall into place, you should perk up, right? So if you were not here last week and you're here this week, 
We delayed a week so that you could be here to hear this. Right? Don't let that be lost on you. So here we go. Acts chapter 12. Here's the path I see Herod on, and I feel like it's a warning. I feel like the tone of this is like, hey, do you guys know that you're going the wrong way? And some of us are like, there's another way to go? Yeah, there's another way to go. So we're going to look at it. I feel like here's the warning. Uh, Acts chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to be quicker this week uh, because we're in the second half of the message. About this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. After this part, Peter escapes from prison. We've covered that, right? So Herod's pretty upset that Peter escaped from prison because his plan was to kill him to make the Jews happy. Verse 18. Skip down. Acts chapter 12, verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Now he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, verse 21, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So we started last week, and we identified the three markers that are pretty universal about this path that Herod is on. Okay, I'm going to throw them up here. Uh, yeah, there they are. Pride, idolatry, self-magnification. And last week, we identified these steps as like, this is what path Herod is on, right? Maybe you don't have a vacation palace on the Mediterranean like he does. Maybe you don't, you're not the king, but this is the path of his life uh, that he's on, that many people are on, and they have no idea there's another way to live. And pride, we identified as an elevated view of oneself outside of reality. Outside of reality. And we spent a lot of time on this last week. So again, if you, uh, if you feel like, well, you should just listen to it. See what happens. Worship, we identified as the responding to or pursuit of something to express adoration, devotion, and reverence. So we have these things that we respond to and these things that we pursue. Those are the things that we worship. I was just talking with a buddy this week, and he was saying, like, yeah, usually in this situation, it would really bum me out. But, like, right now, I'm just kind of like, whatever. God, do what you want. And I was like, in the past, I probably said you're worshiping that situation, right? If you're responding to something, right, that's an indicator that maybe we're worshiping it. If we're always responding to this thing or we're always in pursuit of this thing. And then third, magnification. The last step. We worship things with the intention of magnification, okay? Worship isn't the end goal. We don't worship finances to make much of finances. We worship finances to make much of ourselves because we think if we have more finances, we are magnified, right? So whatever we worship has a purpose of magnifying something, okay? So this is what we, we 
thought about last week and we talked through, like the things that we worship are intended to magnify ourselves so often. So we pursue appearance. We respond to politics. We do, you know, we go through these things. Why? Because we feel better about ourselves at the end of it. We have magnified ourselves sufficiently at the end of it. And so that's the path that Herod is on. It starts with an elevated view of himself, leads to worship, the pursuit and adoration of things that are not God for the purpose of making much of himself. Now I give you that path right up front. Why? So you could do a little self-assessment here. I think that's why this warning is in the Bible. Because it doesn't usually take the time to tell us where these people who reject God end up. This is unique in the scriptures in that God is like, hey, slow down, tell them what happened to Herod, and then we'll keep going. So I think this warning is for us to do a little self-assessment. to go, hey, is the end of my path leading to self-magnification? Because if it is, I'm telling you right now, that's the wrong path. Right? If the end, whatever, however you got there, if the end is me being puffed up, me being made much of, me being magnified, it's the wrong path. And the last week we talked about it. The real tricky part about the whole thing is we are so great at hiding it all. We're so good at covering it up. Like when Jesus came to earth, who was he mad at? He was mad at the religious people. The, the religious service attending, Bible reading, theologically correct, tithe giving, God worshiping people. Why would you be mad at them, Jesus? Because Jesus recognized they were worshiping God to magnify themselves. They were attending religious services to make themselves feel better. They were giving of their tithes so they had something to boast of. They were checking the boxes to magnify themselves. And, and some of you are like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible to worship God to magnify yourself. Yeah, that's why the world has such a terrible taste in its mouth about the church sometimes. Because the world's like, I see those people. They're only about themselves. And they claim to be worshiping God. And they're magnifying themselves just like everybody else. Now, it's very possible to use God to make much of me. And you can see that in how much time we spend on felt needs. Right? Sometimes you get church services, and I'm not here to bang on the church, but I'm just, like I said, we're doing some self-assessment here, so it's good to take a look at ourselves. You get in these things where we only spend time on felt needs. Oh, you are feeling pressure in your finances. Let's talk about that. You're feeling pressure in relationships. Let's talk about it. We're feeling pressure in time management. Let's talk about it. And we do all these talks about felt needs. And, and, and maybe... The whole point is really helpful to you. Maybe you could come here. We could do a relationship series on how to navigate potentially difficult relationships. And you may listen. And you may be very helped in the same way that Tylenol helps, which is actually not very effective. Why do I say Tylenol? Because, you know, Tylenol doesn't actually fix anything. It just makes it like, okay, now some doctor in the back that's like, actually, it's got anti-inflammatory. Okay, I get it. Like, maybe it helps something. Its main purpose is just to kill pain, right? So if you've got a tumor in your brain that's giving you a headache and you take Tylenol, you might feel better, but the tumor's still there. And so this is not a Tylenol message here today. This is not a felt needs message here today. We're going underneath that to the root cause of what is broken in your life 
Because we, here's the truth. I could do a relationship series and you could walk out and you could be like, hey, I got this friend and we've been at odds and we sure to reconcile. And we like, we could go through the steps and you could feel better. But if the truth is that you are in that relationship for magnification of self, then it doesn't matter what band-aid we throw on it to make you feel better. That's a waste of your time. The path has to end in magnification of God. And people do that all the time. You're in a relationship because, well, I like this person and they're pretty or they're cool and they're fun. And I, I like when I'm associated with those people, I feel like it makes me feel better. And I like to be associated with those people in other people's eyes because it gives us appearance and we live in the right neighborhood and drive the right cars. And everybody thinks we're all, like, people do that all the time. Welcome to America. Magnification of self. So that was last week. All right. Eight minutes it took me to summarize last week. Let's finish this morning because there are a couple other things the Bible has to say about the path that Herod is on that I want to point out that I think will be very helpful to you. There's three ideas that we'll finish with. Here's the first one. Humans are not built to withstand self-magnification. Humans are not built to withstand self-magnification. It's pretty interesting if you look at verse 23. It says, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Okay? So if in your mind you're picturing, like, giant, like, men in black worm, like, eating a subway car and, like, eating, that's not quite what they're talking about, like, eaten by worms. Okay? Um, it's a super cool idea. Not what happened. There are other historians that give accounts of King Herod's death, and they say that he had worms in his flesh, in his abdomen, and, and lower region, if you know what I'm hinting at there, right? So there's a lot that has gone wrong for a significant period of time for there to be worms in your flesh, okay? I, I read this whole thing. It's probably, like, way too deep of a dive on, like, how worms get in somebody's body. And we're not talking about like stomach worms here. We're talking about like from the outside, you can see worms. Okay, so uh, as kind of, I, I read all these doctors that kind of read the Josephus historical account and the biblical historical account. And their, their best guess is he had some sort of an infection, maybe an STD, maybe a cut or something that got infected. It caused the flesh to die and become gangrenous. And then as that flesh rotted, it produced maggots like on his body. That doesn't happen in an instant. Okay? So this is definitely the Lord's doing. An angel of the Lord says, no, no, you're done magnifying yourself, Herod. But what's interesting is God doesn't need to send like a bolt of lightning to end Herod's life. The thing that was going to kill Herod is already present in Herod's body. The, the result of the life he had lived had already produced this thing that was ultimately going to kill him. So when God looks down and says, hey, you're done magnifying yourself, he doesn't actually have to like send a tornado or an earthquake or, or like do some external thing to end Herod's life. He just lets the results of the choices Herod made kill himself. He's like, yeah, the thing that's in you, I was holding you alive and now you're done. Why? Because the human body... The human creature was not built to withstand self-magnification. You know, there's all this interesting data out there about how these things that seem to be unrelated to health really affect your health. 
like stress. Like stress is like, it's not directly affecting like me. It's not like what I eat or how I exercise or how much I sleep. And then doctors are like, it's killing you. Wait, what? Or relationships. Or these interesting studies they do in orphanages about kids who are touched and not touched, or kids who are spoken to or not spoken to, or are hugged or loved. Like there's all these external things that affect your actual health. Here's my point. Humans are not built to withstand self-magnification in any realm. And, and what is happening here is Herod's body is literally just failing under the weight of him making much of himself. And not just his body, but look at the picture of around him. Look at the picture of the guy we have in front of us. Does he seem emotionally healthy? Does he seem content? Does he seem at peace? Does he seem like he has good relationships around him? No, he's insecure. He's striving for more popularity. He's murdering people in order to gain that popularity. He's worried and anxious and like he's, he's not in a good place in any sense of the word. He comes off really insecure. Everybody around him, I'm sure, is very insecure because they don't have good relationships for him and he has it all. He has the money, he has the power, he has the fame, and yet it has not helped him as his life is crumbling under the weight of his self-magnification. It's kind of like when I was in college, I went to buy a mountain bike, and I saved up. I was in college, like, I worked at Radio Shack and sold knives door to door. So it wasn't like I had a bunch of money to save. It just meant, like, I didn't spend my check that Friday. So I go into the bike shop, and the guy's like, I had 300 bucks, and the guy's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to ride mountain bikes. And I'm like a young guy who's like just being outdoors. I was like jumping and hitting rocks and stuff. And I was like, what about this bike? It's a hundred bucks. And he's like, that bike's not made to go off road. And I was like, all right, this bike's 200 bucks. And he's like, yeah, that bike is also not made to go off road. I mean, maybe you could go on like a gravel trail somewhere, but mostly that's supposed to stay on road. I was like, this one's 300 bucks. It's got knobby tires. I think that could do off road. And he's like, that's kind of made to go off-road, but more, that's for people who want to stay on the road but want to look like they can go off the road, right? So they put a little big tires on it. He goes, but you're going to break that. And I was like, yeah, but that's all the money I have. And he's like, hey, if you want a real bike that's not going to break for what you're going to do with it, $500 is the minimum you have to spend. Right? Otherwise, you're just going to break it. And I was like, yeah, I don't believe you. So I paid him 300 bucks and I took the bike home. I took it up to the mountains, and I ride it for one day, and then my pedals feel weird, <laughs> right? So I take it back in. He's like, yeah, you bent your pedals. And I was like, how do you bend pedals? Didn't even know that was even, well, you took it out in the woods. Like, I told you, you couldn't. And I was like, okay. I was like, can I get new pedals? He goes, well, yeah, you can get new pedals, but your cranks are going to bend. That's the thing your pedals are attached to. And I was like, all right, well, how much are new cranks? He's like, 50 bucks. I was like, okay, give me new pedals, new cranks. He's like, the problem is the bottom bracket that your cranks are attached to isn't designed to go off jumps. So you're going to shear your bottom bracket unless you get a new bottom bracket, new cranks, and new pedals. Like, All right, so give me all the stuff. Take all my money, right? So there's another paycheck to the bike shop, right? I go back up to the mountain, bend my seat post, right? Come back to the bike shop, get a new seat post. Go back up to the mountain, 
break my, my rims, right? They're like, right? So just over and over and over, this bike kept breaking. And I was like, I'm going to fix this thing. And then another thing would break. And finally, ended up with like an $8,000 bike, right? Because I had to replace every single thing on it. Why? Because the bike I was on was not built to withstand the pressure I was putting it under. And humans are not built to withstand the pressure of self-magnification. And you think you could fix one thing, and then another thing breaks. And then you fix this thing over here, and then this thing over here breaks. And then you got this settled, and then four things back here are broken. Because when you magnify something, you make it bigger. You make it heavier. You invite inspection. Right? And so your mental health isn't doing so well. You're like, i got to spend some mental health days. And then you get your mental health figured out, and then your relationships are broken. And you're like, oh, i got to go fix my relationships. And then my marriage isn't doing so well. Oh, i got to fix my marriage. Well, my work's now suffering. Oh, i got to fix my work. Oh, now my finances aren't doing so well. Oh, man, i got to figure out my finances. Oh, well, now people, right? And we just do this thing where we run from one thing to one thing that's broken, that's broken, that's broken. Just like my bike, it wasn't built to withstand the pressure you're putting on it of self-magnification. Now, some of you are sitting in here, it's like, I woke up with the sniffles. It's because you're a prideful sinner and you're going to hell. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Not every single time that you have something go wrong in your life, it's God like, see, I was about to kill you like I killed Herod, but I gave you grace, right? Not everything is a result of self-magnification, right? We do live in a fallen, broken world where people live under the weight of sin and things like COVID and cancer and tornadoes and tsunamis happen and people die. And that's not always because that was a prideful jerk who God wanted to kill. But some of you, as I'm saying this out loud, you know, right? You're convicted. There's like some husband in here. It's like, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. This, oh, I should have skipped it. I tried to skip last week. God made me do it. Right? Like you're doing this thing. We're like, as soon as I said it, you're like, it's not an idol. I, I do it for God. We talked about this last week, right? Those things that the Holy Spirit just kind of puts his finger on. Things that we respond to. Usually the things that we worship. When we worship something that's not God, it's called idolatry. And those things are revealed in our hearts so often. And like we feel that, right? When we bring up a message like this, I'm like, you're worshiping something that's not God in order to make much of yourself. And you're like, I am not! But don't fight. Hey, God is not saying this to you because he hates you. He's saying this to you because you're on the wrong path. And that path ends in destruction because you were not built to withstand self-magnification. There's another group of people in here who are super prideful or completely indifferent to what I'm saying. And I'm like, hey, you might be worshiping something to make much of yourself. You're like, no, I'm not. You're not? Nope, I'm good. You're not magnifying yourself at all. Nope, just loving Jesus, making much of him. Got it all figured out. Not even gonna pray about it. Ask the Lord, like, maybe reveal areas of your heart that are self-magnifying. Nope, I'm good. That's, that's also the wrong path, okay? So if that's your attitude right now, like, ask God about that. See what he says. Um, I'm going to move on to the second point because I'm running out of time. Second to last thing. The way God deals with this is particularly aggressive. Do you see that? Like, Herod... You will not continue to live this life of self-magnification. It's over. You're done. Now, 
this is pretty, it's almost pretty, like, it's pretty savage the way God does it, right? God's, like, up on his throne. I just, this is all pictured in my head, right? It's not in the Bible, but it amuses me when I think of these things. Like, God's on the throne, like, that haired guy, what is he doing? Uh, He's magnifying himself again. Angel, go handle that, right? Like, Herod's not even a big enough deal for God to, like, have to handle it himself. He's like, find an angel, and it's like, like, maybe this angel's going to be mad at me when I get to heaven, but it's not even like a real, like, named angel. Like, where's Gabriel or Michael? It's like Joe Angel, right? Like, it's just like some dude. Like, you're an angel. Good for you. But you're like, we don't know who you are. Right? So God's like, any angel will do. What's that guy doing? Yeah, come over here. Take care of Herod, right? Like, Herod thinks he's so huge. And God doesn't even, like, bother with him with like a big angel or himself. He's just like, nah, whatever. Like, it's so funny. We do this. We magnify ourselves. And God's like, yeah, that little guy thinks he's a lot, right? It's, we're not a lot. And here's why I bring this up. The aggressiveness of God's dealing with this. God's primary means of dealing with humanity is not nearly this aggressive. Okay, so his, his plan A is love and grace and mercy But just because he primarily chooses to communicate in less aggressive ways, in in more feel-good ways, in like, hey, I love you, I care for you, I've forgiven you, just because that's how he usually chooses to communicate with us, do not forget he is capable of this. Do not forget he is perfectly just in acting like this if he chooses. And I say this because sometimes God is patient and kind and gracious and, and people view the church's message like a sales pitch. Like, like I'm a used car salesman up here begging you to get on the right path. You guys should really try this Jesus guy. He's awesome. And you'll like it, I promise. Like, like, I'm, like I'm somehow like our worth or his worth is dependent on your choice. Like we're not selling you anything this morning. I'm not trying to beg you into the kingdom. Guys, really do it. You'll like it. I promise. Just just rest in him. No. Like this is a God who is transcendent and all-powerful and beyond anything you've ever understood in your life. I'm not trying to tell you you should accept this. I'm telling you what is. Like, he is magnificent and powerful and awe-inspiring, and he will not be mocked. And you and I will not continue to live lives of self-magnification indefinitely. This is not the way it works. Right? So this is not a sales pitch. This is the reality of what is. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Like, he is a God worthy of submitting to. It's not about you. It's about who he is. And if it sounds aggressive, it's because it is. The warning here is not about convincing people to do better. It's realizing you cannot live the life that the created God gifted you with. Spend that life in pursuit of magnifying yourself and escape destruction. That's just the truth of what is. And if you're thinking, Jared, calm down. I'm at church. I'm listening to a Bible study. I'm not all about magnifying myself. I own a Bible and I came this morning. That's almost worse. 
right? Like, think about that. God gave you the very breath in your lungs. God is keeping your heart beating. And you come to him and you're like, hey, I get it. One for you, one for me, one for you. Like, none for you, Herod. You're done. Like, don't act like any of this is yours to keep and hold on to. And the truth is, God could do this to all of us if he wanted to. And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad this morning. I'm just saying because it's true. He could end all of our lives, allow the weight of our self-magnification to crush all of us this morning. And all of eternity, creation would look at him and say, you were perfectly just in doing so. They deserved every bit of that. Because we have taken this life that he's given us and turned our backs on him. Now, that's not the primary means by which he communicates with us. But don't lose sight of the fact that he's capable and he's able and he's just in doing so. He's chosen to show us grace. And that is an incredible gift for which we are grateful. Last point. There's something in your soul that just feels right when you feel small. Like when you stand on the edge of an incredible cliff or you look out over the ocean or you watch an incredible sunset or you look up at the stars or you look down from the top of the mountain, nobody in that moment magnifies themselves. We were at a friend's house the other night and we looked out at the sunset and uh, one of our friends was like, look at that sunset. And I was like, look at me. No, I wasn't. I was like, yeah, that sunset's incredible. Right? Because nobody magnifies themselves in those moments. Right? You don't stand on the edge of the ocean. It's like crashing on the rocks. And you're like, you know what? Looking at this ocean made me realize I am awesome. No, nobody does that. Right? Because it's like hardwired into yourself to behold and respond to magnificence. Like, you feel so right in your soul in those moments. Do you ever think about how weird that is? Like, if you go out, like, on this crazy hiking trip, right, and you come back, and, right, we see you at church on Sunday. It's like, hey, how was your weekend? It was incredible. I hiked this unbelievable mountain, and we just went up so high, and there's cliffs on both sides. And we got to the top, and we looked out over, and the view was amazing. I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, I've never felt so small in my entire life and so significant, insignificant in my entire life. I just felt like a little tiny speck. And I go, oh, that's weird. Like you worked so hard and felt so small and insignificant. That sounds terrible and depressing. Actually, I've never felt more alive. Isn't that weird? that hardwired into all of humanity in these moments where we behold greatness and, and, and magnify something other than ourselves and make ourselves small and insignificant, we never feel more alive. Our soul just feels so right and correct. Why? Because you were mag made to magnify something greater than yourself, and that thing is Jesus. And some people feel this because they don't read the Bible. They misinterpret and think standing on the mountains is awesome for my soul. So I need to go stand on more mountains. And, and, and all of a sudden now going outdoors becomes another way to magnify yourself. 
that moment of smallness that you understand, that rightness you feel in your soul when standing on a mountain, when looking at the stars, when watching the sunset, is an indicator that we were never made to magnify ourselves. And we must find the one worthy of such magnification. And for 2,000 years, the church has been proclaiming, we found him. We found the one who is worthy of the magnification that our souls long for. Look at verses 23 and 24, right next to each other. One path struck down, the other path increased and multiplied. Do you see that? Verse 23 and 24. Herod dies and is eaten by worms, and the word of God does what? Increases and multiplies. So what's the right path look like? Well, that gives us an indication, right? I have it on the screen, I think. It starts with humility, a correct understanding of yourself. It leads to worship. Worship of what? God. Worship of Jesus. Why? To make much of Jesus, right? So now the finances that I have, I use them to worship Jesus, to make much of Jesus. Now the time that I have, I use it to worship God, to make much of God. Right? The resources he's given me, the friends he's given me, the opportunities he's put in my way, I don't worship those things to make much of myself. No, I use those things to worship God, to magnify God. We make much of him. We magnify the one who has loved us well. And there's something in our soul that feels so right when that happens. And we're going to take some time right now. Worship team's going to come back up. And we're going to allow space for your soul to magnify and make much of Jesus this morning. We do this thing at church called communion. If you're new to church, let me explain it. On the night before Jesus died, he held up a piece of bread and a glass of wine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And it's like standing on the mountain and feeling small, like we just talked about, and right in your soul. We should hold this bread and hold this cup and recognize reality that he is the one worthy to be made much of. He is the one worthy to be magnified. Now, this for Christians, right? This is for Christians, right? So if you're not a Christian, if you're not in, you're like, I don't know about this whole thing yet, then don't do it, right? It's not like some special club handshake that you have to be in on, right? We, we're not a fan of you doing something that you don't understand. But if you are a Christian this morning, and as we read through the word, there was maybe some conviction in your soul, like, hey, you've been magnifying yourself. This is the right response to that. Repent of that. Confess that to the Lord. And then ask him for the grace to turn around and make much of him. And that's when we'll come up and take communion, right? We're going to come up. We're going to grab the bread. We're going to grab the cup. You can take it back to your seat, and you could take it on your own. And do it with this kind of heart. Like, I am recognizing the incredibleness of what's in front of me. And I, I want to respond in gratefulness to make much of Jesus. There may be some folks here that as I went through this message, you're pretty convicted. Let God deal with your heart on that. Maybe you recognize some pride in yourself, some elevation of self. You realize you worship things that are not God or you even worship God to make much of yourself. Maybe you're like Herod at the end of his life. He's got royal robes on the outside and what's on the inside? Worms are eating his flesh. 
rotting flesh that he's trying to cover up. The Bible tells us when we recognize in our hearts, we need to identify it, confess it to God, ask for his forgiveness. And then it says, come on up and magnify him. Come on up and make much of him. Right now, we got communion up here at both sides of the stage. Jake's going to play three more songs. He'll give you a last two-minute warning that this is the last song. But this is a time to respond to what God's doing in your heart. I realize I've gone five minutes over what I intended. So I'm going to keep you seven minutes longer than you're used to. Is it worth staying seven more minutes to have God let you leave here with a clean heart and a pure conscience? I believe so. So let's take this time. We made it. We got through the worship. We got through this, the message. Now let's respond to what God's doing in our heart. Right? Communion's up here for when you're ready. And uh, let me just pray as we kind of finish this out. Lord, uh, we're grateful for what you've done. Our soul feels so correct when we bow in submission to the God you are. So deal with our hearts right now, Lord. And we ask you in your mighty and precious name.